Let's say hello once again, as we have been the past, to Stephen Esposito. He's the president of Yellowstone Wealth Management in Lake Forest. The Dow takes a dip this week. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, and thank you for having me. As investors brace for Friday's jobs report, um, what are you seeing? What are you thinking about this today? Well, we got a lot of fear in the market once again today. Um, fears of what the Fed may or may not do going forward and maybe go too far, which we've talked about. And that that's a definite concern. At the same time, you got concerns some of the banking sector today over uh, some regional bank potential exposure to a crypto, as well, as well as the Fed raising rates at such a pace, this inverted yield curve now on the twos and tens is 1.2%. I mean, even the 30-year treasury is under 39 and yet you got the two-year at five two, so that's there's concern there. Um, there's a whole bunch of things affecting the market today, and and that's just three of them, which are significant enough. So I don't know. We'll see what the Fed does. I'm hoping the Fed will just you know, take a pause at some point, who knows when, and just let the effect of what they've done, some of the most rapid rate hikes in history, you know, filter through the economy and see the impact there. Because people forget, uh, unemployment is a lagging indicator, six and nine months behind the time. So. You're not going to raise rates on a Wednesday and expect unemployment to drop on the following Thursday. So that's what we're looking at right now. And it's, there's a lot of panic in the market. But honestly, panic to me is an opportunity to buy. So I'm just looking for some bargains here. Yeah, I'll ask you about that in a minute. But right. So maybe the unemployment issue will resolve itself in time. Better that they bank on that than raise it to 50 basis points. Huh? I, I hope that just because we hope that's going to happen doesn't mean it will. Um, I think they've pretty much gone too. in my personal opinion, I think they've gone too far. They need to wait and see the effect of it. Because if you look at commodity prices just from a year ago, we were having these conversations with, you know, the uh, the invasion of Ukraine. Oil was up near 120 on the way to 300. Now oil's in the, in the mid-70s. We've seen nat gas up to over 10. Now it's in the mid-twos. So if you look at commodity prices across the board, they're all down substantially. I don't care if it's oats or wheat or what have you. They're all down hard. Um, and that reduces the the risk of inflation. But this, I think, is a supply chain problem. John. I think it's a supply issue, and the Fed cannot stop this. You know, can't help the supply issue by raising rates. In fact, it makes it more difficult for the the suppliers to produce because the cost of capital is going up. So we're in an interesting situation. Sure, and there's not a lot of you know confidence out there that we're you know. Uh, the people who are running this is are, are doing the right thing. I'm a little surprised, Stephen, to hear you talk about supply chains. Not, I don't hear a lot of talk about that these days. The harbor off Los Angeles is not stacked with boats anymore, and when the trains aren't derailing, they're moving freight. What's the uh, what's the supply chain problem? Well, it's it's more on the labor side in that area. Um, even though they're laying off right now, the supply chain. I agree with you. That's why you're seeing commodity prices plunge, but. This cause of inflation, I think, was more supply chain related than actual um, situation with pricing. Again, we've seen commodities drop. So supply chain issue can get worse is what I, the point I was trying to make. Actually, I, I may have misspoke. I'm worried that supply chain could go back to being bad if we try to crash the economy or not try to crash it, but slow the economy down. The talk is a couple million people need to lose their jobs. I don't think that should happen. Um, to surprise, I don't think it's going to actually stop the inflation. And that's what concerns me. And yeah, will they go too far, too fast, and create more problems? And that's what the market, I think, is looking at and afraid of. Now, the market changes direction seven times a day. And who knows, something else may come out tomorrow and give some confidence. But I wouldn't get too worried about the, you know, the sell-off today. I would instead look for some opportunities. But 
that's the concern. Will the supply chains get worse again because we're slowing the economy and people are going out of People are going to lose their jobs. 773 says, I'm listening to the show, John, and I just stopped at Jewel, and the six-pack plastic Coke bottles have shrunk. The price is the same. The sweet checkout clerk said they think no one will notice. We're uh, talking to Stephen Esposito, the president of Yellowstone Wealth Management in Lake Forest. That's one way to stem inflation is to give people less for the product to keep the price the same, Stephen, but you give them a little bit less. Uh, interesting, interesting way to play it, right? Uh, from that standpoint, um, yeah, you know what? It's a very interesting economy. We just went through a pandemic, something we've never seen. Like we said, the plant, like you said, the supply chains were really bad. I think triggered the inflation, most of it. Now they're coming back in the line, hence the drop in commodity prices across the board. I just think there's so much uncertainty right now in the market that it's breeding fear. And that fear can just manifest itself into worse things. But if you really look at the facts, you know, the GDP numbers in the mid twos, that's a pretty good economy. And in the market we're in right now, good economic news is viewed as bad. Um, yeah. That's something new yeah. for us to look at. Oh, well, it's, um, and we notice that every week on this show. By the way, just two other quick texts. 262. John, I think the Fed waited too long to raise rates, and now I think they're going too far. And 630 says, I love this guy. That would be you, Stephen, because I agree with him. The Feds need to take a breath. But the betting now is that they're going to raise it 50 basis points. They're not going to cool. They're going to kick it back up a notch. You know, we, we all, I guess we agree on that. I just, that's what's causing the fear. But I think eventually, you know, this is the best economy in the world, and it'll all work itself out. I mean, it will. Uh, and an opportunity to me, uh, and this is my 40th year in the business, I've seen a lot in four decades, and I can tell you opportunities like this, um, situations like this are opportunities for the investor looking long term. And and you asked me earlier, what I would definitely look at the financials based on today's sell-off. Really, uh, that'll create some really good opportunities for the long term. And um, I think you got to still look at the consumer. The consumer is the strong part of the economy, and so you want to look at companies that directly benefit from there uh, going forward. And even now, you know, hold on to your chair, John. I'm actually a buyer of some tech, uh, but I'm buying the tech who actually have earnings and reasonable price earnings multiples, growth at a reasonable price as opposed to so many zombie stocks we've seen dis- uh, disappear. Uh, and I think there's some opportunity here, because a year from now we'll be having a different conversation, and I think it'll be one where the economy and the rates will maybe be flat or lower, and then you can see, I think, the market and the economy really take off as you head into the holiday season and into 2024. So if you're a long-term investor, look for some opportunities down here. Uh, that's what we're doing. And um, this sell-off, I think, in many of these sectors is just, unwarranted. It, it shouldn't be happening. But I don't suppose this is a buy opportunity like April, May of 2020, though, right? Everything just went down fast. And you thought, well, if I can survive this, uh, this might, mm-hmm. m- might might be a nice return. And it was, especially if you were in some of the technical uh, stocks. Uh, you like big banks? You like retail? Look at the ba- right. Well, look at the banks. Correct. I can't get specific, but you know what the big ones are. Sure. Um, look at the automobile companies continue to put up great numbers. They've had great numbers. They're just selling off in the market sell off today. And I know the, uh, the, the waiting period for the inventory, they have 40 days worth of inventory. Um, normally it's 70. So the inventory is improving. Cars are being sold and being sold for, for full list. In many cases, they're putting up fantastic numbers with low earnings multiples and the related stocks in it. Look at some of the drug companies. They've come down. 
um, with some really good dividends and some low multiples. So I think there's just, you know, too much panic in the marketplace because of uncertainty. And that uncertainty breeds fear and fear breeds selling and it just feeds on itself. But for the investor with cash, and I always have cash, there's an opportunity here, I think, to make some money out the next year or two. And you want to take advantage of it. You know, in the mirror of crisis is when you want to buy. Remember, be greedy when others are fearful. Uh, people are fearful. So do I tell the person helping me manage my money or I go on my Schwab account and I'm going to buy, um, should I buy a fund? Should I just roll the dice on individual companies? How do I capitalize on this? Um, it depends on your financial advisor, how they do it. I, I manage all my portfolios with discretion. I can tell you that those are the kind of companies we're buying. If you if you don't have that, you can buy a fund. Uh, unless you can buy at least, I'm saying, 20 names or more. I you know own 20 names. I wouldn't really do individual positions. I hear people owning three stocks in their whole portfolio. I don't agree with that. Uh, I think you should have at least 20 different names and be diversified and not try to hit home runs. I think you should just try to get on base. I don't care if it's a single or a walk. Get on base and eventually you'll win the game. It's the people that you know swing for the fences every time that – end up losing, which is what you've seen in the last couple of years. And you made a good point. Three years ago, it was panic because COVID was brand new. We didn't know what was happening. And yet, in hindsight, that was the best opportunity to buy. So when a lot of us, though, are making these decisions, we're going to look at some pie-shaped graph, and it's going to say, describe your risk tolerance or the mix of stocks and bonds that you want. And if people are fearful, maybe they're not into equities right now. But then you're saying, ah, maybe this is a good time to get into the right equities. But a lot of times those little pie charts don't say financials. They say small cap or large cap or international. Um, can you comment a little bit about those kinds of blends of stocks? It's hard because it's so different no matter where you go. Not all of them are created equal. Uh, over here, I, I don't use pie charts. I actually manage every single portfolio individually, uh, personally. From that, to it's a lot. It's very tedious work. It's very large. But I, what you're pointing out is kind of what I believe, is I don't think it's easy enough in a pie chart that you really got to get more specific with what each client should have and not a more tailored, a more tailored approach. But yeah, if you have to use a, a fund or two or an ETF that invests in uh, banks, uh, large cap banks, you can use those if you're going to do that, or maybe some good mutual funds that are sector related and then pick the sectors you want and then allocate accordingly. Um, it's just hard for someone who doesn't do this 24 seven, like many of us do to do it and have four decades so we've experienced some of these downturns is why we're in business, I guess. Um, but yeah, I would look at I would look at growth at a reasonable price if you can find funds that are at that level. And but diversify. Have maybe three, four, five different sectors and about twenty different names. And and just do your homework. It's all I can tell you. Yeah. Do your homework and and rotate. There is a rotation in the fundamentals, which I think is fantastic for the future of the market. Because then we'll have a more normalized environment um, if people pay attention to earnings and dividends and not just buying stocks that maybe in the year 2030 will turn a profit. That's where you see most of the mistakes. I see investors when they come in my door. Um, they're looking for excitement and entertainment rather than investing. And like I tell people, I'm not here to entertain you. Uh, I'm here to make you money for a period of time. Um, and you don't want me to sing for you because I can't sing. Yeah, I do like the idea, though, of ETFs where you might say, OK, I do like this industry, this sector, this the, uh, I'm going to bet on financials or maybe Europe or something like that. Um, 847 texted in to say I was just in Vegas and through that lens, the economy looks great. 
My wife and I say that a lot when we go out to eat. We were in Oak Brook Mall a couple of weeks ago, and it was teeming with people. Maybe it's anecdotal, but you do see people with money to spend, which is sort of the problem right now, right? I mean, the fact that people are still spending a lot of money, they're working and they're spending money, is one of the reasons that the Fed is less inclined to lower interest rates, right? I mean, think about what you just said. People are doing well, and that's not a good thing somehow. And I think that's ridiculous. I really do. I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about uh, rampant inflation at levels we've seen back during Volcker. I don't see that. Um, but we're in a situation which you have so many different factors affecting markets and computer algorithms causing volatility that right. investors are confused and so they're scared. And I can't rather blame the them. Fed governors just go to the mall, go to a restaurant and go, uh, inflation, inflation. people don't seem to be afraid to still spend money. They're not hoarding their cash. Granted, they're putting way too much on their credit cards. And you and I haven't talked about that just now. But the idea that we need to stamp down inflation, if it were that bad, maybe the mall wouldn't be so busy. Maybe Vegas wouldn't be so hot. So therein lies a conundrum for us, right, Stephen? Oh, I, I agree with you. Plus, here's another thing. Nobody I see talking about it. A year ago, people were earning a quarter of a percent on their, on their money markets and their interest rates. Now they're earning in the fours. Yeah. That's, imagine $1.7 trillion in savings now earning a healthy interest rate they haven't seen in five years. That's more capital in their pockets. Well, every time somebody says something like that, though, I, I do remind myself that that's still below the rate of inflation. So... You're, mm-hmm. You love your 5%, but inflation is 6%. It's, it's, it's attractive. It's better than maybe sitting on the sidelines. But, um, and, and you love the guarantee, but mm-hmm. it's, it's not enough, I guess, is the, the end of that sentence. I, I absolutely agree with you. That's why, you know, being careful how you allocate resources appropriate to your personal situation, like I said, a tailored suit, what is good for you, what helps you sleep at night, what is peace of mind, to you. And that's what I try to focus on. It's not just a numbers game. It's what makes you sleep at night and get you to point A to point B. Um, but having 4% plus in money markets, providing you with that safety with no, you know, no risk and full liquidity is an attractive alternative, I think, as a parking place or for a balanced portfolio. But right now, I'd be looking for opportunities where you can get a good dividend in some pretty solid companies while others are panicking. And but you don't have to do it today. You could do it one or two today. Look some more tomorrow. Just strategically deploy your capital over the period of time that you want. It's again, it's not a one day phenomenon. It's really not slowly leg into the market and look out to the year 24, even 25 rather than next week. Markets there's, are down there's too this much week. of short-term mentality. Markets are down right. this week, and Stephen Esposito sees opportunity. He's the president of Yellowstone Wealth Management. When I get to be king, by the way, we're going to change the law <laughs> so you can give us specific company names and prices. But right now— <laughs> I'd love that. I know you can't. <laughs> it's nice to talk to you as always. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Take care. YellowstoneWM.com. Wealth Management, YellowstoneWM.com is his website. AARP is releasing their annual— family report on family caregiving this week and the costs that are associated with caring for a loved one. They did a real interesting calculation. They said, how many family members are caring for someone who is ill or old or both? And then let's multiply that by about $17 an hour. And let's multiply that by about 18 hours of care a week. 
and lo and behold, you're at sixteen. Uh, you're at six hundred uh, billion dollars, <laughs> and I think that that number is low because, well, let's put it this way: people should be getting more than seventeen dollars an hour to do that work. Maybe that's the average rate, and I know plenty of families that are putting in more than eighteen hours of care per week. I guess it all balances out, but this is an interesting look into how much care we need and how we're managing it. Let's talk a little bit about that right now with Lori Hendren. She's the Associate State Director of Advocacy and Outreach for AARP Illinois. Thanks for joining us, Lori. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it, especially this time to talk about uh, the importance of caregivers and how vast and powerful the number is. Thank you. So if we do look at those numbers, are you advocating for certain mm-hmm. policy changes or are you just trying to remind us of how, how, if nothing else, we should all plan for our care down the road? That's a great yeah, great question. So ARP Illinois advocates for all those that are 50 plus. Give your listeners a really great perspective. You use the number of $600 billion, right? So that would be... If I had 20 million cars that average 30,000 each, that would be equivalent to 600 billion. And that's how much money they are weaving into the fabric of our national economy of unpaid care. But let's look at Illinois. Unpaid right? care, yeah. Unpaid yeah, care. So, Go ahead. Unpaid care. Yeah, so Illinois, we have 1.3 million. And that's just a snapshot in time that we are able to capture and making uh, contributing $18 an hour. And so for Illinois, we see that as $21 billion of really free care, free labor. And I'm not being insensitive, but this is what we're doing and probably have not planned to do to care and love our loved ones. ARP Illinois hears you, and we want to ensure Illinois is a leader in the nation in making sure that caregivers are supported and that your loved ones are having the best possible options to age in the home setting of their choice. And we are are all living in an age-friendly state. So what does that mean? There's a lot of great terms, right? We know caregivers are paying about half of them that we serve, 50% are paying out of pocket for all the transportation. They are paying a major chunk of their money for their loved ones' prescriptions, home modifications, car modifications, and these are individuals in our latest study, about 50% of them are still working. We're working full-time or we're working part-time. So you have a sandwich generation, right, that probably still have kids at home taking care of mom and dad or a grandparent and juggling it. So this is where ARP, we step in. We advocate for legislation that will ease the burden of that stress, support workplace, workplace flexibility, and get some financial ease as well. And at the same time, making sure home and community-based services that the state does offer is innovative and available. And also, if your loved one is at a point that needs 24-hour care, making sure the nursing home is ensuring and providing the best quality of care possible. And we're proud to wake up every day and do that. Well, I'm glad you are, because I just know so many people that are in the throes of that, and it seems intractable. It's frustrating. I don't want to say hopeless, but the idea that it's stressful in every conceivable way is 100% true. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about some of the financial numbers, I was wondering just off the top Mm -hmm. of my head if maybe we should say, okay, that's unpaid care. 
then you should be able to value and deduct that from your taxes, at yeah. least at least yeah. to accom- are, you, are you laughing at that idea uh, no, to accommodate? I'm laughing people. because I. I'm laughing because you are just, I wish I had you on a microphone because you are exactly uh, the advocate and the voice that we need, right? Because so many people are bringing in that burden, that cost themselves. So ARP has legislation in the state house right now before lawmakers that would um, provide family caregivers a modest uh, income tax credit to their filings each year just for your Illinois taxes. It's about 1500 It is. In, there is um, income caps and there is um, specification who you have to be an Illinois resident. Your loved one has to be an Illinois resident, right? And there's various kind of parameters to make sure your caregiving purchase is going to be certified by the Department of Aging. That information, that certification will go back to the Department of Revenue when you file your taxes. So I, I'm right along with you. Maybe my, my giggle is with excitement, right? Because that is truly the support people need. We need it financially as well. And that is a measure that I know our national government, our national team has been pushing at the Capitol, various states. And I, forgive me, I don't have the names, but some of our states in our nation have them, not identical to what we're looking at here in Illinois. But again, this is an approach to provide relief to family caregivers. What else did you find in your research? What else are you advocating for? Sure. So one of the things that we we continue to find is that the state of Illinois has a very robust uh, program to support those that are under the age of 60 uh, with disabilities to age in their home and not have to be institutionalized. Mm-hmm. They have a very broad range of services. When you get to 60, we have a, and I will say, Illinois has a wonderful uh community care program under the leadership of Director Basta. But we're ARP is not just comfortable in the today. We want to look and be prepared for our aging population in 10 to 15 years. And our home services program for those that are under 60 has some menu and service options we would like to have replicated and made available for you at 60 if you're eligible for the program. One of it is having personal assistance. I know the department is looking at home modifications, and that's going to become uh, part of the menu of uh, service plan options when you're over 60. So, yes, that's one of the things we're looking at. We want to have equity in service options. And so we're not putting ourselves in any way uh, jeopardizing the inability to stay and age in our home. So, right, so we're looking at equity and care and services that are offered and then also having a family caregiver income tax credit because we got 1.3 million unpaid caregivers that truly deserve it. They need some support. What about when families are hiring someone to tend to their senior family members in their homes but it's an out-of-pocket expense that they've negotiated on their own. Um, is, but but that's, um, that's better for the state rather than institutionalizing these people, and it's better for the individual families because it would cost them more to have institutional care. But it's still uh, quite expensive to manage this at home. Um, is there any hope of subsidizing that or helping families do it that way? Well, I think there's that's a great question because you have uh, care that's going to be medical and then you have uh, care through community care program that's going to be non-medical, bathing, helping make sure prescription drugs. And those are all services that uh, the Department of Aging would have to certify as a caregiving expense. 
I think it's all on the table of how we look to age and we incorporate family and having truly an open conversation of the financial and unplanned costs family members are enduring to make sure their family members are healthy and aged in the home setting of their choice, right? So, you know, my mom passed away a couple months ago, but we did everything we could to make sure she could get back home. And it is a panic situation. If you've ever been there, you're going to move heaven and earth and pull bricks off a wall to do what you can with all the passion to make sure you can take care of your loved one. Um, And so that's where ARP likes to come in to make sure we hear that and we advocate for legislation Mm -hmm. to ease those very stressful situations. So if any of your listeners can hear me, I am with you because I understand I my family's been there with you as well. So my heart goes out to you. AARP Illinois is um, advocating for the Illinois Family Caregiver Income Tax Credit, yeah, which would provide a non-run, <laughs> non-refundable income tax credit. Um, I like the sound of that. I'm glad you're doing the work you're doing, and I, I like the way you talk about it. By the way, if, I don't know if you're in the habit of reading reports like this, but if you read this report, <laughs> you will find yourself in here. It's a very interesting report that just came out, March of 2023, from AARP. It's nice to have Lori Hendren on the line, Associate State Director for Advocacy and Outreach at AARP Illinois. Let's uh, talk again, Lori. Good luck with you on this. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time, and thank you all your listeners. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch on WGN. More business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Northwestern University professor Janice Everly has emerged as a frontrunner to become the new vice chair of the Federal Reserve. That's according to a report by Bloomberg News. Everly previously served as chief economist for the Treasury Department under President Obama. If selected, she'd replace Lyle Brainerd. Everly has been interviewed by the White House Chief of Staff and has met with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Brainerd. A final decision hasn't been made, and Everly would still have to meet with President Biden. The number of workers returning to the office in Chicago appears to be stuck at 50 percent. Crane says that's according to the latest data from Castle Systems, which analyzes building security swipes. The 50 percent figure has been holding steady since the start of the year. Chicago's just slightly ahead of New York and Los Angeles. L.A. is at 49 percent, and New York is at 45 percent. Houston's return to office has hit 61 percent. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Okay, he said he would do it. This is uh, Business of Food Time with Steve Alexander. Thank you, and I've got a couple of leftover comments from yesterday's conversation with Chicago's breakfast queen, Ina Pinckney. She recalled how important this radio station was in her life, including when Bob Collins would call her now ex-husband Bill as he was sailing solo around the world. And became the first black sailor ever to do that, and Bob was so into that, every once in a while he could get through to Bill and call him on the boat. And when she first moved to Chicago? For me to get up in the morning and listen to Orient and Samuelson do the the farm report, I was mesmerized as a Jewish girl from Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of the big O, and first let me thank our sponsor, Chevy's Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Okay, back to the big O. I didn't get around last month to mentioning a favorite organization of Orion's, FFA. National FFA Week was last month, and one of the most famous former members of the FFA, other than Big O, is former President Jimmy Carter. He's been in our thoughts lately, of course. 
and I suspect he, as did Big O, benefited from the FFA's public speaking training. Which brings me to this year's FFA essay contest, It's On, sponsored again by Culver's, which has raised millions over the years to benefit agriculture through its Thank You Farmers project. Allison Emmer is a spokeswoman for Culver's. The FFA essay contest is Culver's annual way to really take the time to hear students' stories. This year's essay contest is inviting all FFA members to either write a 1,000-word or less piece or record a 5-minute or less video. Culver's.com slash essay contest. There's prize money. They can win up to $7,500 to support their local FFA chapter. By the way, no offense to Big O or to President Carter, but when it comes to popularity, no former FFA member, and that would include Bo Jackson, no former FFA member comes close in popularity to a girl who was a member of the FFA chapter in Henderson, Tennessee. Taylor Swift. Yeah, from the farm to your belly, today's National Meatball Day. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Jonathan DeModica is the founder of Got Soul, gotsoul.com. Sneakers from fifty to $50,000 are being bought, sold, and traded. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. So are you guys in town right now? Yeah, we actually just got in town late last night, and uh, we're making our way around doing some last-minute marketing, so... He and his brother actually started the business when they were teenagers. Their family's house burnt down. They lost every possession in the world. And he decided right then and there, I'm going to have to be financially independent and find ways to sell things myself. Kids know sneakers. And so he thought, what if we could buy, sell, and trade sneakers? Talk to me about how the transactions take place at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. Yeah, of course. So basically, there's people who can have a vendor booth where they can come and display their collection, inventory, whatever it might be. But the average person like you and me can also come in to buy, sell, and trade. And in a few shoes, they don't have to, but they can, which you know just makes it that much more exciting. What kind of shoes are we talking? So all sorts of different collective items, whether it's from Air Jordan, Nike, Adidas, whatever it might be. And the, the fascinating part as well is, you know, there's sneakers and inexpensive it's fifty dollars all the way up to fifty thousand dollars and really everything in between which makes it accessible for any budget are we talking game worn autograph shoes that kind of collectibles there definitely are some game worn collectibles there but it's also just you know uh rare things that sold out at retail when they came out you know whether it's older vintage sneakers or a lot of just the newer stuff that's hot and people can't get their hands on so give me a couple of examples shoe name and make yeah, of course. One would be, if you've seen the movie Back to the Future, the, uh, the Nike Air Mag that Marty McFly wears, the, the uh, self-lacing ones. So that's a, a shoe that's in the five-figure range, depending on condition and size and when, when, which release. That, that's one example. Another one is uh, we've, seen, we've seen some game-worn Air Jordan 11s from 96 when Michael Jordan was playing for the Bulls here in Chicago and wore a shoe signed by him. And uh, it's it, Something like that, it's kind of name your own price for the seller. So those are a couple of, you know, high-end examples. Okay. It's going on at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center, noon to 6 p.m. Um, you can buy pre-sale tickets and tables at gotsoul.com, S-O-L-E, gotsoul.com. They've got food. They've got games. They've got all kinds of merchandise. What a clever idea. Pay 35 bucks to get in the door on Saturday, March 11th, noon to 6 p.m., and then go get your sneakers on. 
Uh, congratulations, Jonathan. Clever idea. I wish you luck. Thanks for coming to town. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Jonathan DeModica is the founder of GotSoul.com.